the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of the Lord, or fully declare his praise? Blessed are they who maintain justice, who constantly do what is right. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to my aid when you save them, that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may share in the joy of your nation, and join your inheritance in giving praise. We have sinned even as our fathers did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, to make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. He met them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the foe. From the hand of the enemy, he redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them survived. Then they believed his promise and sang his praise. But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. In the desert, they gave in to their craving. In the wasteland, they put God to the test. So he gave them what they asked for, but sent the wasting disease upon them. And from the book of Deuteronomy, we read from chapter 5, verses 1 to 6 through 10. 6 to 10. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. The first text message I got today was a colleague, and it just said, I am weary of praying for the victims of gun violence in our country. Enough, Lord, enough. Yeah, me too. And as I consider our text this morning, this commandment not to worship any other gods and not to have anything in our life that gets in the way of living our calling as God's chosen people, I could absolutely go for the low-hanging fruit. I could equate guns and gun culture to idols, but I'm not going to do that, even though, honestly, it would probably be an easy sermon for me personally to write. I don't think that it's a helpful one right here and right now. 
because I could pick out some terrible thing that happened out of the news each week and equate it to an idol. But all that's going to happen is one of two things. Either there are going to be so many idols that we are all overwhelmed and trying to keep track of the list and we just wind up being able to relate to very little of the content of those sermons and never actually change anything. Or I'm just going to have half the congregation nodding along and half tuning me out or calling me up upset the next day because I'm on the wrong side of the debate. And neither of those options is going to get any of us anywhere. Neither of those options is helpful. A friend and I launched a podcast this week, and even if no one ever listens to it but us, it's quickly becoming a great place for he and I as preachers to process our texts before and after preaching it. And this past week, as we were talking together about idols and how there are so many, and many of them are really divisive topics to bring up, we were talking about that very problem of we could name all sorts of idols and there's just too many. It occurred to me an idol that we as a culture have taken to worshiping. Even I love this idol and allow it to get in the way of God's work in my life. Being right. How many families and churches and friendships have been damaged or torn apart because two people or groups are so set in their ways, be they old or new, or so set in their rhetoric and arguments that God's love is forced to take a back seat? We love being right so much that we're willing to let some really trivial stuff be the hill we are willing to die on. Churches have split or had major unrest because they can't agree on things like what sort of filing cabinet to buy, which picture of Jesus to hang in the foyer. I once heard of two people threatening to leave a church because one of them moved a sofa and they could not come up with a reasonable solution. All of these problems could have been solved by the parties being willing and able to say, you know what? In the grand scheme of things, God's work will still be done if the sofa is in the youth room. Or God can still work in a church with a four-drawer brown filing cabinet instead of the three-drawer gray one. But so set on being right, on never backing down, on convincing the other person they were wrong all along, these petty arguments become huge conflicts. And God's work has to be set aside while they're sorted out. We should have adult, civilized conversations with one another about how we think problems should be solved, large and small problems. The second it gets heated enough to be considered an argument, however, we might want to check what our real motivation is. Are we furthering God's work, or are we just mad the other person doesn't agree with us? Are we coming up with solutions that we can be a part of, or are we just telling one another how other people are wrong and are the problem? Are we willing to admit when we're wrong, or maybe even part of the problem ourselves, or are we just worried about being right? Today, it is absolutely appropriate that we pray for the victims of both of the massacres that happened yesterday. At least one of them is suspected of being a white supremacist act of terror, which is becoming frighteningly more common lately. 
And so we need to also pray for those of ethnic and religious minorities who are targets of such terror these days. Today, we should have all those who are vulnerable in our thoughts and our prayers. And tomorrow or in a few days, people will start talking about how thoughts and prayers aren't enough. And they are right. God calls us to pray, but then to act as well. James 2.17 says that faith without works is dead. But what has happened every time before, and will almost certainly happen again this time, will be that the thoughts and prayers will turn to arguments about who is right. And we as a culture will get so caught up in the same arguments, slogans, and talking points that we make every stinking time this happens that we won't actually do anything meaningful. You absolutely should have an opinion on what the local, state, and national government should consider in order to help stop this kind of violence. And you should vote accordingly. I would not be Presbyterian if I did not tell you to vote your conscience. That's what we're all about. But there is not a single one of us in this room who, by proving to someone at church or work or wherever that we are on the right side of this big bad gun control debate, will change a blessed thing. There is no debate over whether these tragedies are indeed tragedies. They are horrific and evil. But by convincing us that heated Facebook debates or another bumper sticker is standing up for what is right, the enemy has neutralized us. We've been sold on this idol of proving ourselves right, that we just keep living this cycle of violence, thoughts and prayers, argue to prove who's right and who's wrong. Nothing happens. Violence. So let's stop chasing our own tails, having the same fruitless arguments and getting mad at each other and instead get off our pews and do something about it. How are we teaching children God's love and tolerance for one another? In one of the most historically violent places I can think of, Jerusalem, there are groups very purposefully bringing together Jewish Israeli children with Palestinian Muslim and Christian children because the most effective tool to fight ethnic hate and violence is learning about one another and learning to love one another. How are we modeling God's love? In Rwanda, the entire country said enough is enough. We are tired of genocide and hate. That's no longer who we are. And they spent 25 long years working together to change the story and still continue to work together to change that story. And that never would have worked if people hadn't come together to make it happen rather than arguing with one another about who was on the right side or the wrong side of history. And look, Israel and Rwanda are far from perfect, and I'm not saying we have to model ourselves after them. In fact, they are such very different places from here that we probably shouldn't model ourselves after them, and they don't get it all perfectly right. But that said, looking at the creative things people in various places have done to help combat violence can help us come up with creative solutions that we a little congregation in Western Pennsylvania can participate in. We are gathering this afternoon for our first discernment prayer meeting. But as we move forward in this process, we won't just be sitting and praying around a table. We'll be thinking about the resources that we do have as a congregation and how they can be used for God's work. 
We will be taking a close look at our neighborhood and who is here and what they need. You all know that I love exploring the world and getting to know all sorts of different people, but God's work has to start in our own backyard. We will be praying with our feet. We will be looking for and trying out new and effective ways to work for God's love and justice in this world. And some of them are going to tank. We're not going to get it all right. But the fact is, we were out there and we were trying. It's about more than just having a cause. It's about remembering that we aren't here to be right. We aren't here to prove anything. We are here to be God's light in a dark world. Listen to what Jesus tells us he came for, and then let's spend just a few more moments in silent prayer and reflection on this scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, how can we as a congregation join in with that very important mission of Christ? Here's your homework. How can we as a congregation go beyond prayers and work to end gun violence in our country? How can we stand with victims and their families beyond debating with the people around us or just changing our Facebook profile picture? How is it that God would have us pray with our feet? Let us pray. God, help us to see how we might make real change in our often violent and scary world. Show us where our idols of rightness and sides choosing are getting in the way of your work. And let our voice, the voice of compassion and justice, be heard so that your goodness might be known and that your light might be seen through the darkness of this troubled time. Amen.